Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To infiltrate the Oscars with our movie on how to save a mockingbird? Yeah, yeah w- wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, 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 oh yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Double Feature Versus. I'm Anthony. I'm Brad. And today we're going to be kicking it uh, old school, kicking it coming of age school, I guess. Uh, today we got two coming of age films, both of them more similar than I expected to be. Well, more similar than I uh, than, than I imagined, but I guess it only it's only right that we do this. We got a. Uh, uh, Richard Linklater's uh, Boyhood versus Jonah Hill's mid-90s. Yeah. So when I actually paired these two together for this episode, I knew that they were very similar to each other and actually took place in the same like time frame, even. I hadn't seen uh, mid-90s before. I had always um, told myself it was on my list, but I had always, like, uh, it was something I was going to see eventually, but it, it took me a while to get to it. So, you know, this is my first time. And uh, Boyhood, eh, I don't know. I don't know about around the same time. Boyhood is like 2001 to 2013 for its shooting time. So mid 90s covers the mid 90s. Uh, yeah, but Boyhood starts in the 90s. Starts in 2001. Uh, the year that it all starts taking place. 2002. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you know, um, I guess when you're not, as far as like the time, as far as like the feel of the movies are very similar. Oh yeah, you know what I mean, uh, and we'll uh, we'll get into that. But um, yeah, man, this wasn't a great, this wasn't a bad pairing at all. So you know, uh, even though Boyhood is probably the longest one, it is, it is yeah, the one Boyhood that got released. Boyhood is pushing almost three hours. <laughs> yeah, and it um. To me, you know, it, it soak up it soaks up every minute. If I'm gonna be honest, uh, but uh, so Boyhood, you know, you want to go chronological? Yeah, we gotta go in the order that they were released. Okay, all right, yeah, I guess that makes sense. All right, so we got Boyhood up first. Um, so, dude, uh, when I saw this in theaters, I was so geeked. I was already a Link Later fan from you know like. Days to Confuse, the Before Trilogy, School of Rock. I had already liked Linklater's films, but when I heard like how this was made, like this film was um, made over, I believe, was it ten years, twelve years? It's something like that. It was the same actors throughout the entire time, but he filmed it uh, every couple of years as they aged. So they age yeah. in the movie in kind of the same way that they actually filmed it as well. Yeah, this is just such. This is like one of the films I go to the cinema for. Like ambitious cinema, I go to I go to theaters for. Even though this is an independent film, I 
I was all in when I had heard of this movie and how it was made, you know, a film 12 years in the making. Oh, yeah. Like, so, even if this movie completely bombed for its plot and story and everything like that, it would still hold up because of just how much effort went into this film, which yeah. luckily the movie is good. You know, it's very good. I, I want to say that right away the movie is very good but even if it wasn't good the amount of effort that went into it and pulling off like a 12 year shoot for a single movie is absolutely mm -hmm. insane yeah and he filmed other movies while doing this too i think he filmed like two of the before films um they're called before because it's before sunrise before sunset and uh, before midnight, with uh, one of the actors was Ethan Hawke, who was in this movie, and the other actor was Julie Delpy. Um, have you seen those movies, man? They're pretty I good. I have not. They're pretty good movies. Like it's it's a great um, it's a great three film love story that that um that was made like over the years. Like it, you you should watch them. But um, okay, Boyhood. So this film deals with it's it's a literal coming of age story. So it deals with um, the childhood and adolescence of uh, Mason Evans Jr. Uh, it's basically showing him from ages um, six to eighteen. Uh, he has two divorced parents, um, played you know uh, brilliantly by uh, Patricia Arquette and Ethan Hawke. Um, he has a younger sister. He has an older was he older or younger? She was a, she was an older sister. She right? was an older sister. Okay, older sister Samantha, played by Lorelai Linklater, who is the director's daughter in real life. Uh, it just shows him growing up, man. How he deals with, um, you know, being a kid, living with his mom, kind of like going from home to home, boyfriend to boyfriend, husband to husband, you know, and just trying to find his own identity. Um, you know, and his father kind of comes in and out of his life. He kind of needs to get he's kind of working on getting his life together uh, at, and kind of like getting used to being a father and trying to be there full time, but not always doing a good job of it. Uh, so he 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 is involved. Dude, I remember there's many moments throughout this movie, man, where I'm like, you know, even though this main character is a young Caucasian boy, there's many moments I couldn't help but go. Man, that's how it was for me. Oh yeah, you know, like, like this, like I related so much to this movie. Not just as a man who was once a boy, but just about growing up. Like I just related so much to so much to to many things in this film, man. Well, he goes through pretty much everything that someone goes through with getting a job, with relationships, with friends, with moving. Every point is hit on that somebody would go through in their regular life. And because it's all phased out through separate time frames instead of being like, oh, here's just everything as a kid. You know, here's mm -hmm. like teenage. Like This is literally going from six to 18 years old. You see every facet of his life and everybody can relate to some point in this, no matter what it is, because it hits so many notes because it hits the divorced parents. It hits like the abusive husband. Uh, it hits having different step siblings, different people coming in and out of your life, constantly moving. It, it hits all of those. So there's yeah. something that somebody can always relate to somewhere in it. You might not relate to the entire story, but you'll always have those parts that you're like, that was like dead on. That's that's how that kind of life is. The thing about Richard Linklater's films is that everything feels 
with the exception of School of Rock, because that was kind of like a it was a great family comedy, but it wasn't really like his other stuff where everything feels natural, everything feels kind of improv, but it's but it's not though. It's written mm-hmm. like every segment in this film was written on page. Now he did he did change some things in the script depending on where you know. Um, L.R. Coltrane, I believe his name is, the main character, how he kind of like looked at at a certain point in his life. He says, "Okay, let me change up this character a little bit as to how he looks and how I feel like L.R. could really play this role at this point at this point in his life. You know, um, you know, he everything feels natural in his in most of his films, but it's not. It's written. He's just mm-hmm. he's just a very natural filmmaker. He's good at writing dialogue. That's what it comes yeah. down to. That's what makes it feel natural is because he knows how to write dialogue that is real. None of it is trying to like push a certain narrative or push a plot point forward. It's just real people living real lives with real dialogue. He knows how to capture actual human moments. Like there's a moment where Ethan Hawke, I believe the kids are like I believe the main character is like almost touching teenage years. And um, he's talking with him and his older sister about like about sex kind of. Oh, he's yeah. Kinda, he's trying to he's trying he's trying his best to say it in a um in a in a clear cut way. That's not embarrassing, but it is embarrassing. It's embarrassing to talk about sex with your parents and the way they play it off is so natural. And it, it's it seems like that's how awkward it would be in real life. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it has to be that awkward kind of conversation and everything like that. And yeah. I love that they're doing it in public, too. Like, they're in a bowling alley, if I recall correctly, when they're having that scene. Right. So not only is it an awkward thing, but they're, like, both embarrassed to be having this conversation. And they're also in public and everything. So I think another great one, uh, I got to say, most of them were with the father, the great moments that I remembered in this movie. Because when yeah. they were in the car and he was just going, so how was your day? Eh, it was fine. Okay, what what did you uh, do for your project? You know, it's it's going, and he's just like pulling teeth, and he like goes, "No, I'm not going to be that person that comes and spends a weekend with you, gets nothing, buys you stuff, and then drops you back off in your mom's house. You're right. going to have a conversation. Oh, what were you doing today? Well, Jessica and I got into a fight because I was talking to the boy she liked, and and he just goes into this rant, and it's just right. it, it's perfect, and. It, all I, he had to be one of the best parts of this movie, in my opinion. Yeah, Ethan Hawke kind of always is, though. He just oh, he yeah. just always is the best thing of like one of the best things of movies he's in. Um, but yeah, you know, it, that's a real moment because you know it's him. Like I said, he does try to be the best father he can be, even yeah. though he he does have his flaws. He's not uh, a he, successful father, but he's trying. Right. He he tries to put effort. That's that's yeah. important. And, you know, you can tell it's important because it feels like these are significant moments in the main character's life and significant moments include him. So he actually is doing an impact. Mm-hmm. You know, if you take the film as life through his eyes, the main characters, then, you know, you you can tell that his father, he, he, he can acknowledge that his father has tried. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, because this is basically a cliff notes of his life. We're not seeing everything sped up we're getting little segments so when he's like six years old we get a segment here then we get another segment when he's about 10 years old uh, another one when he's maybe like going on to 13 etc so it's not like we're seeing every year of his life it's kind of jumping around a little bit 
uh, sequentially jumping around. It's not going back and forth. Uh, so it's going, you know, as he ages up. But we're not seeing the full picture. We're only seeing, like, the main things that turned him into the person we see at the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 a good point, too. Um, on the flip side of it, too, I got to say Olivia, uh, his mother, we see another person that always tries, you know, single mom with two kids, uh, kind of moving from place to place. She see, she tries her best. She really oh, yeah. does. And, Again, uh, not a perfect her. parent, but she is doing everything that she can. Yeah, you, you feel for her, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, she falls for her professor. Her professor turns out to be, uh, you know, a little violent, alcoholic, you know. And, like, that That was that was a sincerely, like, kind of tense scene in an overall chill coming-of-age drama. Oh, like, yeah. Like, that scene where she had to leave because he was getting a little violent. And I don't know if my man was keeping the kids hostage or whatever, but it was, like they were kind of like held up there when they were trying to figure out what's going on. And it was, that was kind of a tense moment. Well, there were multiple times where I was like, I don't like this guy at all. And then it got to that dinner table scene. I was like, Oh, this is mm, just punch him. Please punch him. Just punch him. Please, please do it. Do it. Do it. And it didn't happen. And I'm sad about that, (laughs) but it's more real that it didn't happen. That's yeah. That is life though. There are a lot of people who deal with, um, you know, internal abusive, uh, domestic abuse that, uh, it, it, life isn't a movie. Right. And I like, I like how this film, you know, as much as we wanted something to happen, it is what it is. You know, if you're going to look at this from a realist state of point of view, sometimes domestic violence situations don't end up as heroic as we would like them to be. Right. Yeah. Because even when they go, uh, are they ever going to see his kids again? And, uh, their mom is like, I don't know. Uh, I I can't say. I would hope so, but I don't know. Right. I can't do anything for them because they're not my kids. I don't have any legal authority over them. And yeah. it, it's another real moment that it's it's after that tense moment of them finally leaving there and like kind of just settling at I think her friend's house for the night and they're having this conversation. It's a really real moment. It, I I just this movie does dialogue and emotion perfectly it does it's one of the things that just it keeps you glued to the movie uh even though there's really not much that's happening in this movie you're basically watching a kid grow up you know there's no uh string being pulled of like some end game that you're hoping to reach or anything like that you're just watching somebody live their life but it's still so enthralling because the conversations and everything that they're going through is so real and it it resonates with you. I just love everything he comes into contact with. And I love how it doesn't play it like, okay, let's let's do bully, let's do first love, let's do lose virginity, let's do first breakup. It does it it, it checks off all the boxes, but if it, it does it so naturally. Yeah. You know what I'm it saying? doesn't like, feel like it was going through a checklist. But it, it managed like, to go through it all. It doesn't feel like it's 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 knocking off beats of a plot. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, when he when he first when homegirl first breaks up with him, it feels real and it doesn't feel like, okay, Link later made everything to like come to this moment. No, it feels like a natural breakup scene. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. Even when they're getting together and everything like that, it kind of feels like a natural progression that you kind of see 
And it's not even like over multiple years. It's only over the course of like a couple months that you kind of see that relationship grow a little bit before it ends. Was it just a couple of months? I think it was only a couple because I don't think there was like a time skip between it. It was kind of toward the end of the movie, wasn't it? There might have been a little bit of a time skip in there. I think so. Yeah. Um, uh, the, uh, getting getting back to Olivia a little bit, you know. Um, the other thing when she marries the uh, did she marry him? Did, when she married the uh, the veteran guy, you know, who um, they kind of vibed out because she was his professor. And uh, I like how every time she's like falling for a guy, you always see Lil Mason like looking back and seeing her like flirt with a dude or, you know, like you you get that moment and then it's a cut and then she ends up with that person. Right. I, I, you know what I'm saying? Th- it's a cute little nod every single time where he always has that look of, oh, no. <laughs> like, oh, mom's flirting again. <laughs> like, you know. Well, hello, new daddy, I guess. Right. Um. And, you know, he t- he starts out to be a pretty cool guy, but then, you know, he gets a little drunk and not abusive, but he gets kind of like, uh, you know, kind of obnoxious and, you know, kind of brooding all the time. And, he, you know, Mason, who ha- who's starting to come into like his little style now, kind of like paints his fingernails black. Were they, were they black? Or... Um, yeah, it was like a black or a blue. It was like a dark color. Right, and then the, you know, the new stepfather tries to call him out on it like, uh, oh, you know, kind of, you know... It, well, he, he I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, what kind of masculine thing is that to do? And, you know, he becomes kind of like a, a verbal bully where the first father, where the first stepdad was kind of like a physical bully. You know, so, you know, you, you kind of feel for Olivia on not being able to find the right guy. Um, so you got that part of the story. And I want to say about Olivia, man, like towards the end when uh, Mason goes off to college, here's one scene that. You know, it kind of hit it kind of hit me. Well, it kind of hit my mom more than it did me because uh, I watched this for the second time when it came out on Blu-ray with my mom. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I first went off to college, like when Mason went off to college and and his mom, like she had such that real moment, like everybody's gone now and I'm just by myself. Like, like, is that it? Like all my kids are grown up and I'm just here alone. Like, is that is that what I get? I remember when I went off to college, you know, my mom didn't have a moment like that, but I know she probably felt like, well, I don't want to be stuck at the house with his dad all the time. Like, you know, my little boy is going away. Mm-hmm. Like, I um, I feel like when I saw that scene, I kind of understood what my mom went through. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because you, you spend your whole time raising this little baby into a human adult, and when they finally go off, whether it's moving out or going to college or whatever... You kind of feel like, dang, that's a that's a whole stretch of my life that's been uh that ended. I mean, they're still a, you're still the parent, but they're not living with you no more. They're leaving the nest. Right. Because she even says, like, what's the next big moment in my life now when I die? You know, that's that's it. That's all that's coming now because right. went through everything else. And he doesn't know what to say. You know, he's like because he I feel like he doesn't know what to say because he can't relate. Right. He's not he's not a parent. He's he also a very broody kind of teenager. Uh he, he seems very like emotionally distant from everybody. And I can't tell if that was just a part of his acting or if that was a part of his character because of everything that he's gone through with I wouldn't say 
I think he's very much in tune with the emotions he has towards his family. He's like, I feel like he he is going into the young adult stage where he is he's trying to figure out this thing like this thing called life himself. Like, I don't I don't think he was distant. I wouldn't I, I don't know if I'd agree with that. OK, that that's how it came off in a lot of scenes and everything like that. They was a little bit distant and everything like that from everybody. You know, because he even mentions that with uh, the one girl that uh, he started dating with, uh, saying that he wasn't very good with talking with people, that, you know, he doesn't really get people and understand things. And with her, you know, it, it just seems to come effortlessly and everything like that. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe so. It, it could be, maybe so. Um, but I, I kind of just looked at it. I kind of just charged it to the game of growing up, to be honest with you. Right. Like, even in that situation, it's not like he would have anything to say for that because he wouldn't have any experience to know. But by that point in the movie, it also, with his silence, it just felt right because it, that seemed like his character a little bit. Because uh, he was always also very lazy. I like how they continually push that throughout the movie in different parts mm-hmm. of his life of how, you know, I thought you did your homework. Why didn't you turn it in? They never asked for it, you know. And then later it's, you know, why didn't you do this? Well, nobody said anything, so I didn't think I needed to do it anymore. And it, it just, it's another one of those uh, personality traits of his that kind of sticks through the entire movie until he starts getting a passion for something, which is photography. And he starts, you know, actively doing something in order to do it right. Yeah, I love how one the one thing the teacher says to him, which I, I got to admit is a, is kind of a tool you should keep every day in life. Sometimes most times I forget. She says, uh, don't forget the floss. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like that. That's so offhand, but so true, because when you become an adult, you really do forget the floss. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Th- th- there's so many great one liners in this that. I lo- yeah. No, there are. Like, I love how his father, who straight up takes a, a whole 360 towards the time where he becomes, where our main character becomes a young adult, where he's not, he's going to church. He has a, a new wife, a new baby boy. Like, he's turned his life around. He's actually, like, like started to, like, not saying it's, like, get a chance to start over, but he does get a chance to be a better father this time around to their new younger brother coming into the world. You know what I'm saying? In a way, you get to see the father also grow up and become somebody that's, you know, capable of being the parent he always wanted to be for his kids. And now he can, but he's able to do it for a new child. Right. You see him step into the role he was supposed to step into, you know, years ago. You know what I mean? Um, And I love how... (laughs) I love that final moment between him and Olivia... Where he's like, hey, um, I know I never formally thanked you, but I just want to thank you for, you know, raising those kids. And he kind of gives her like some money. And then no, uh, what happened was he was like, I want to help you. You've done so much. Let me help with this one last thing. You know, let me let me give you some money to help pay for everything that is here right now. And then he pulls out his wallet and goes, well, actually, I don't have cash on me right now. Hold on. Let me go to Olivia or go uh, to my wife's purse real quick. (laughs) <laughs> I thought that was funny. Do you think um you you think he really got some money or you think he was just like fronting? I'm willing to bet that he actually got money because by that point they had already shown that he 
was being a better person and everything like that. He was being more responsible and he right. like had a job at that point. He was able to do things. I think it was just to show that uh, he still isn't perfect, but he's still yeah. trying. And so even with him going, let me get you some money. And then he realizes he doesn't have any money in his wallet, but he can still get money. You know, showing that he has that extra dose of responsibility that he's now able to fulfill that he couldn't before. His heart's in the right place. Yeah, his heart was uh, always in the right place, but now it can be in the right place, and he's capable of actually fulfilling what is needed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I want to talk to you about uh, the final scene. So he's in college. Uh, he's uh, He meets his roommate. They decide to skip orientation. I wish I would have did that, man. I wish I didn't go through orientation because that was such a boring day. You would have rather uh, done shrooms and walk through the mountains. Something, you know, <laughs> something like I mean, it was it was it was cool, but it was just like, hey, why am I doing this? You know, like, uh, yeah, something, dude, something that seemed like a much more fun day to have. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, they, they do shrooms and go through the uh, desert. But I like how when he's sitting next to um, the girl, he says like he says a line that pretty much summarizes the entire film. He says what he says. Do you ever feel like a life? He says he he believes that uh, life is about people seizing moments or, or no. Instead of people seizing moments, moments seize people or something like that. She says that, right? Yeah, I think she's the one that says it. Yeah, And I'm like, oh, that just. I encapsulated the entire film in that one sentence. And I like how smooth it was. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, this feels like a a naturally made movie, but and I'm sure there were moments of improv, but I'm like, that's that's just a line that just like is written so beautifully that just slips in so naturally. Right. Because the entire it's also very important to know the context of when she's saying this is they are literally in the mountain ranges right now. Um, it's four of them. Uh, his roommate and two of his roommate or two of his roommate's friend and his roommate and himself are out there. So his roommate is off with the other girl, kind of just howling into like howling the mountains. At the moon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like the perfect kind of was it the moon coming up or the sun setting? I thought it was the sun setting. Uh, I think it was sunset. Yeah. And so uh, he is sitting with his other girl, just kind of sitting back and everything, just looking at it while they're kind of just howling out into the mountains and everything like that. And it's a beautiful view. And that's when she says this. And it's a scene that is short, but it's a very like perfectly timed scene with the camera pans and everything like that. So you get that like sense of, oh, this is beautiful. And then she says that, and it's like, yeah, that fits 100%. I could see you know, somebody, either myself or somebody else in this situation, saying exactly that. Let me tell you something, man. If you were to make a movie of your life up until this moment, and you look back at it, it, would be, it, it, it wouldn't be a straight line. It would be very key moments throughout your life right. up until this moment. That's what makes this movie so great. It's very key moments that were essential to the man Mason Senior, Mason Junior is today in college that lead up to this moment. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, man. This was one of those films that, um, you know, 
some people may say it's kind of gimmicky. And, you know, maybe maybe it kind of was, but it's a great gimmick. Oh, like, it's 100% really, gimmicky. I do not deny that whatsoever, but it works 100%. You know, yeah, something it, can be gimmicky and still be absolutely perfect in every way and work because of the gimmick. Yeah, it's a... Um, it's an idea that's uh that that can come off as reaching but it's a reaching idea that works and doesn't it makes you want to believe i feel like cinema like this makes you want to believe in the impossible uh because you know when i first heard of it i had all the biggest hopes for it but i said even if it fails i'm still going to give richard leaklayer the win for even attempting it you know and he attempted it and uh he did a great job with it yeah, like yeah. I said at the beginning, even if this failed as a movie and it was just absolutely horrible, the feat that he pulled off just by trying this is insane in of itself and deserves some kind of praise. And he still knocked it out of the park, even with such a huge feat in front of him. I don't think a single scene in this film is wasted. I feel like for its long runtime, every scene, every minute, and I'm not, I'm not... I'm not I'm not dick riding this film. I really do love this movie. Every scene in this movie is is used well and not wasted. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, at the same time, I think it also benefits from the fact that there was so much that they filmed. They could hone in on the perfect parts of it, because if I recall correctly, there's he was saying that there was another like full half an hour or something of cut content that they had filmed. Uh, throughout the time and they made sure to cut anything that they didn't deem important enough to be in the movie which made this even though it's a three-hour movie more or less uh, two hours 45 like minutes it. yeah it's it doesn't feel like it and it hits all the right notes without feeling drawn out or any scene can be you know you probably could take out scenes of this movie and not miss it but at the same time, nothing feels like it was put in there by mistake. Yeah, man, I really think this is our uh, Richard Linklater's championship game. Uh, I got to I got to stamp this to classic five out of five. I, I got to give this one the five out of five as well. Uh, this was the first time I actually watched this movie. Uh, mid, uh, really? Yeah, this was the first time I watched this one. That's why I wanted to oh, put wow. this one on the list because uh, I was actually talking with somebody else about this movie a couple weeks back. And he was like, how have you not seen this movie? It's like literally the pinnacle grow-up movie. How have you not seen it? I was like, I remember seeing like, you know, the advertisements and stuff for it, but I just, I never saw it. Yeah, a lot of accolades for it too. Uh, oh yeah. Patricia Arquette won uh, Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars. Yeah, I think what really got me is when uh, we were talking about it, and it was like, yeah, it's made by the same guy that did Dazed and Confused. And I went, hold on, were we talking about the same movie here, Boyhood? <laughs> and, Dazed and Confused, Slacker. Yeah. Uh, he, he's, he's got a lot of work behind Everybody him, Wants Some, if I recall correctly. Which is the sequel to Dazed and Confused. More, it, I still, I still it's a spiritual sequel. Well, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, I, I I trust your judgment. I haven't seen it, but yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Everybody Wants Some is a great one as well. Highly recommend checking that one out. But yeah, it's more of a spiritual sequel because it doesn't actually have any of the same characters. Dude, I remember I saw Dazed and Confused in college. Uh, 
for the first time. Actually, I've only seen the movie once. And uh, when it ended, when, you know, when they're in, they're in the car singing that song, I was like, oh, you know what, man? That's a pretty great. That's a pretty great uh, high school movie, dude. Like mm-hmm. that was that was pretty great. Um, and I kind of never really outside of Michael, outside of Matthew McConaughey, you know, you know, uh, uh, is, is that where All Right, All Right came from? Uh I don't think it came from Dazed and Confused. I can't think it came from something else, but it was used in Dazed and Confused. Okay, well, the thing where he was like, hey, man, the older I get, the younger they get. Yeah, that's from Dazed and Confused. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, that was funny. Like, I, I remember that, and, um, yeah, I thought it was a pretty cool movie that, like, really covered a specific point of uh, a point of time. So that's that's what I make of that movie. But even but I, I take from that movie and I get the whole I, I just get yeah, he's just a great natural director. Oh, yeah. Uh, All right, man. Well, if we're moving on, we're going to move on to Jonah Hill's mid 90s. Now, this was something for me uh, that boyhood was for you where it was like I had heard a lot of great things. You know, a lot of my friends who know me as the cinephile say, dude, did you see Jonah Hill's movie? I'm like, nah, man, I ain't check it out yet. And everybody was kind of recommending it to me where I was like, it's on the list. It's on the list. I'm going to get to it. Um, I got to be honest, man. In the beginning, I was kind of like, this is one of those movies I'll kind of get to. But I, I know I'm not going to really I, I, I don't I don't think I will get much out of it mm-hmm. because from the trailers, it, from the trailers, it, it did capture the mid 90s time in my eyes. But I was like, it, it didn't like it was anything more than that. Yeah, It looked like a timepiece that. I will say that 100% because I agree on this point. The trailers for this movie do not do the movie justice at all. The advertising for me. this movie did no justice to this movie. Yeah, and um, it, it, and that's why you shouldn't always judge a book by its cover. And I tell you, I don't always like to watch trailers because I like to – if I know the talent behind the movie and I trust the talent behind the movie, I'm going to see the movie. If I never saw a trailer for Last Night in Soho, I still go see it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, so, yeah, the, the trailers didn't really excite me that much. So when I came into this, I came into this with an open mind. And, dude, I was pleasantly surprised, man. Like, this is a very a very good movie. This is, a, this is a chill, good movie. Oh, yeah. So this one I had actually seen prior to. So okay. this was your first time seeing this movie, right? First time, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, this one is full-on 90s it's you are basically seeing a kid go through more or less a year of his life after moving into a new city uh he doesn't have any friends there uh the people that he meets at school just kind of look down on him because he's the new kid so he doesn't really fit in anywhere and then he happens into like a skate shop where he sees some kids talking and stuff he thinks that they're cool and he kind of just forcibly starts hanging out with them he just kind of shows up one day with like his brother's old like kid skateboard and he just hangs out there (laughs) until they notice him yeah um yeah that's that's so funny how he walks in on them for the first time he's like he's like all right man all right life or death would you suck your father off or would you uh eat your mother out yeah. And he says, like, what kind of question is this? He says, it's life or death, man. You got to choose. And I like how the one customer who we never see again is like, dude, I'm never coming back in this store again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we never see him again. He never comes back. Oh, yeah. The, 
it's literally teen humor uh yeah. perfectly it, it done in this movie because it's literally all things like that um even like nicknames like one of the kids name is uh shit fuck and it, how did he get that name well after anybody does something cool he's like shit that was fucking cool <laughs> so he got the yeah. name shit fuck right he goes shit fuck yeah <laughs> yeah 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 um i like how uh and they give him the name uh sunburn 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 because <laughs> This is like, dude, this was such a painful moment to me watching it because I was like, I even like they, they asked him a question because they were talking about, you know, black people. And um, uh, what was it like? Do black people ever get sunburned? Uh, or something no, like it started that? off with, is it cool being black? You know, you don't get sunburned, though. Right. And it, it just kind of goes from there. It's a very like kind of awkward conversation. <laughs> right. And I love how it goes to the main character. And he was like, he's like, what do you think, man? Uh, he, said, he said, you think black people get sunburned? And, dude, I felt like pain and embarrassment. I'm like, kid, say something. Mm-hmm. And then the kid just says, uh, well, what are black people? And then everybody just starts laughing. Um, and because uh, I, I was, I was, uh, yeah, man, I, I just really felt like uh, sad for the character. I'm like, he can't be that shy. He got to say something. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, even this is a part of the movie where he doesn't even really fit in with the kids yet. He's kind of just hanging around them. You know, they right, don't really right. talk to him much. This was pretty much the first time that they really even acknowledged him beyond asking him to grab them something. Like, hey, can you hand me my board or can you, you know, go refill this water bottle for me? You know, beyond that, this is the first time that they actually even acknowledge him. So it's everything put on him for a very bad question that there's really no proper answer to. <laughs> right, right. There is no proper answer. Um, I love how we see Stevie uh, kind of coming to his own. Like this is this is a coming of age film, and it oh, yeah. works well. It works well next to Boyhood uh, because we we have two characters that are going through major changes in their lives. With Boyhood, it captures an entire. It captures entire eras. You know, you got childhood, teenagehood. I mean, you got childhood, boyhood, teenagehood into young adulthood. This movie is just straight up teenagehood. Um, so we, we see Stevie, you know, trying his best to put himself out there, stop being so uh, not introverted, but so kind of distant and, um, you know, shy. And we also have his home life where he has a older brother that torments him, you know, beats him up and stuff like that. And uh, he has a mom's uh, that kind of kind of she's she's kind of a schmuck. You know, she falls for the wrong guys, uh, similar to Patricia Arquette's character in Boyhood, just not as focused and centered as she is. She's right. kind of um, kind of a, it's kind of one of the background plots that she's like an overly caring parent that has like no control over her life. She's a pushover. Yes. Yeah. Like. I love how this, this is funny too. If you know who that person is, like I love how one, at one point Stevie wakes up and some guy just kind of comes out of her room, zipping up his pants, and like oh, yeah. just kind of like moves past him, which is funny because that guy is a uh, Harmony Corinne, who uh, who made a film called who wrote a film called Kids in the '90s, which inspired this, and he made Spring Breakers. He made oh, okay. I didn't catch that. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of those uh, blinking, you miss it kind of cameos. 
Yeah, because I remember him leaving and then he just walked into the bathroom as he was like zipping up his pants because it was just as uh, Stevie was walking out of the bathroom. Right, right. Um, yeah, this movie, um, there's a good dynamic here. The movie is stronger when it's centered on Stevie and centered on Stevie uh, growing growing into more of a, a, a cemented, part of this skateboarder group like the Mm -hmm. movie is stronger when it's with him and the skateboarders just because of the chemistry there between all of them right the scenes where it's just stevie it it does drag a little bit but it it does have again it has real dialogue in it like him and his brother talking and stuff like that and you know i want to buy this skateboard off you you know well what do you have for give me your uh what was it the walkman no anything but the walkman you can have anything and he's like you have terrible taste in music anyway and he takes like a bunch of video games or something like that if i recall yeah yeah um he does take i I thought he took his cds or something uh no he took like uh super nintendo cartridges okay okay yeah okay so he left the Uh, walkman uh, and then later he's like convincing him, go ahead, just take the money uh, from his mom's like dresser drawer or something like that. He was like, take 40 right. for you and 40 for me. You know, it's right there. All you got to do is take it. <laughs> hey, dude, I love how when it's them and their mother at the at the, uh, <laughs> at the restaurant and she says, I met this new guy. He seems like he actually might be a nice guy. And they're, they're playing seal uh kiss from a rose in the background I'm oh like, yeah That's so 90s that is so 90s man <laughs> Th- this movie so this along with boyhood did a great job of capturing like the tone of the different eras uh that's something that we didn't really mention with boyhood and i'm just going to mention it real quick here is like they constantly push like uh the music videos and the comedy bits and like the little references throughout the movie that you would have seen around that time frame yeah And this movie does that perfectly for the 90s as well with the musical background and stuff. And it's not in your face either, which I love. It's not like Guardians of the Galaxy where, you know, the song is front and center and then the action is kind of behind it. Uh, Mm -hmm. This one, everything is kind of in the background. You you blink, you miss it kind of thing. Uh, Like the Eminem references and uh, there's a couple of things with the skate shop with references on the boards and everything like that. And mm-hmm. it's it's blink and you miss it, but if you pay attention enough to see it, you're just like, this is really they rebuilt a skate shop from the '90s for this. It's exactly how I remember it being. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. Um, I love the turning point in the movie where he earns his name. Like, no, no, he already earned his name earlier. But like he he kind of earns his status for being kind of a wild card and just being a guy that just pushes himself out there. He uses oh, yeah. his fear to push him forward. Uh, that moment where, um you know, there's that thing between uh there's that open section between the two rooftops. And, uh you know, my man who kind of brought him into the team, uh Ruben, who kind of kind of slowly becomes kind of jealous of uh, Stevie is how he kind of mm-hmm. the, the group kind of like becomes more welcoming to him than with Ruben. Uh, Ruben kind of he can't do it. He's a little too scared to do the little like uh, skateboard thing over the open section. Stevie tries it and fails because he's not even going fast enough. Yeah, I love that. Everybody's like, dude, you're not going fast enough. And then you just hear the thud and then it pans right. down. And he's just laying on. What was it like a table 
uh, like a yeah, picnic yeah. table, and you're just like, oh no, that this isn't how the movie ends, is it? Because <laughs> he's not knew, moving for a bit. I knew that wasn't where it was going to end. Um, I, I will tell you, I was worried about a later scene too. But um, I, I I knew that wasn't where it was going to end. But I knew it was going to like end with them coming down there, going like, dude, you're insane, or you know something like that. I knew it would be a great icebreaker to get him further along in the uh, the hierarchy of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from there we got him. You know, we got them at a party, and you know, uh, then we we run into him. You know, losing his virginity. Uh, I don't know if that scene was believable, man. I, I I didn't I didn't I didn't quite believe that scene. I thought it worked for what it was, but I'm like. Homegirl got to know that he a 12-year-old. Like, come on. She was also only, like, 14, though. She was? Yeah. They they were at a kid's party kind of thing. It was just, like, middle school party at the house. Mm, okay, maybe. I thought they were. Uh, I thought also, he didn't lose like... his virginity there. Uh, he just fingered her. <laughs> well, well or you know, that's... she fingered herself using his hand. <laughs> That's what it came down to. Oh well, well, I mean, you know, that's a that's a start. You know, it's something. <laughs> it's something. Yeah, I guess. But um, you know, you got that. You got that moment, and uh, isn't that uh, where he gets? He comes home. He's kind of drunk. Like, um, yeah. I yes, that's where it comes in because he comes home and you know his brother is awake and stuff like that, and his brother starts harassing him and he runs around the house like hits him over the head with something and his brother starts crying in the kitchen. No, no, his brother doesn't harass him. He tells him like, "Dude, you're messing up. Like, you're seriously oh, like, yeah, that's like, it. Because, yeah, you, you're seriously like losing the 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 good kid image. Like, you're starting to be bad." Um, and then that's when the and then that's when Stevie was like, "You have no friends and no one likes you." I was so confused about that kitchen scene, like because from what I saw, he he took him down to the floor and started beating him up. And another thing, dude, those sound effects were kind of loud. They were, yeah. You know, ain't no way a punch sounds like that. Like, but you know, it is what it is. Um, and then all of a sudden, his older brother started crying. Like I, I was so confused. Like, did he? He did hit he... him over the head with something. Like he grabbed something from the fridge and he hit him over the head with it. Because when he was running past the fridge, he grabbed something. I can't uh, tell what it was though. I thought he threw hot sauce in his eyes or something. I'm like, what? Oh, happened? that would be even better. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, just what happened? And then things take an even darker turn when he tries to choke himself with the with the Nintendo cord or something. Oh yeah, that's right. He's using the Nintendo controller cord wrapped around his neck and he's trying to pull on it to kill himself cuz he's still drunk and everything like that during this point uh from the party. Uh we do need to note that prior to this, uh his brother did see him with his new friends and his new friends were basically bullying his brother uh more or less well, without knowing them. that it was his brother. Right, right. Just one of them was doing it because yeah. it was a, uh, it, it was a, uh, it was fuck shit. Um, because they, uh, I think he bumped into him by accident, and his brother tried to be like, "Yo, get out of my face!" And then you know, fuck shit got in his face, and yeah, he, he yeah, he got he, he he got towed off. I mean, not that's not the right way to say it. He got a uh, he got chumped pretty much. Yeah. Um, you know, and Stevie doesn't take pleasure in that. He kind of like he kind of is more so like he he kind of more so feels caught that he's seen by his brother with these guys because this feels like a whole nother world to him separate from his home life. Mm-hmm. 
helps him escape his home life, kind of. Yeah, because even know. when his mom like asks, like, who are you spending time with? He doesn't say anything. He just kind of goes, oh, kids, they're fun. They're my friends. I like them. You know, he doesn't really say where he's going or who he's with or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I got to say, man, one scene, and again, this is another film where it takes natural moments and makes them as awkward and uh, as you know, non-Hollywoodish as they would be in real life. Uh, when she brings her son to the skate shop and, and is like, hey, none of you guys hang out with my son anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, who's my man? Ray Ray is the only one that's trying to, like, diffuse the situation. Like, like, miss, ma'am, like, we're, we're, we, 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 uh, we, 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 uh, we, you know, we're not trying to harm him. And, you know, everybody else is laughing and, you know, making a big joke out of it. And I love like when she leaves. I didn't want to laugh, but I laughed. I like how fuck shit is like, yo, I, how, yo, what, what, how much to hit her? Like, like, would you, would you tap that? Oh and yeah. Ray is like, like, dog, that's his mom's. You telling me you wouldn't go for that? Yeah. <laughs> I love how the scene cuts. Yeah, I, it's it's actual like teenage humor. It's it's what would have right. been said in that situation. Um, yeah, Ray is probably one of the best characters in the group. Because when he sits down with Stevie, yeah, and has, like, that conversation with him, and it's like, you know why I hang out with these people, even though I seem to, you know, stand out among them? Uh, It's because these are the people that had my back when I needed it most, you know? These are the people that I know when I was at my lowest, they brought me up, and now I need to do the same for them when they hit that point. And like his entire yeah. speech about uh, what his was brother. it his his brother yeah, yeah. He lost his brother yeah man I um yeah that was very heartfelt and it showed him it showed him as a leveled person like he's 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 the he's the cool headed one throughout the whole film and um you could tell he uh even though he's hanging out with these dudes he he has himself together he's the only mm. one that works at the store yeah pretty much right. Yeah, he's yeah, the one like, that uh, after he breaks his board trying to do the jump, he uh, gives him the board for free. Right, and I, <laughs> I love how that was a callback to an earlier scene where he was like, "Do I do I say thank you to you?" He says, oh. "Of course you say thank you. That's just common manners." And then Ruben was like, "Don't say thank you. It makes you look gay." Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, up to that point, like the relationship that he has with Ruben is he's like trying to seem cool, and Ruben is like that uh, edgy kind of teenager of just like, yeah. oh, you don't say thank you, you know, that makes you look gay, you know, stop, you know, sitting too close to me and everything like, you know, this that, <laughs> um, and it, basically he's a h- horrible influence on him, more or less. And when the other group members start accepting him. Uh, a little bit more. I love how it builds that tension between them, of, uh, especially when he gives the board and he's like, are you kidding me? Because he had literally saved up to buy a board just like that one. You know, and yeah. now he was watching Stevie get one for free. Yeah, and I like how there's like a little, there's a, there's a quick little scene um, where it actually shows Ray in his zone making a skateboard, right? Yeah, that's with uh after the shop closed and stuff, he was uh building the board for Stevie that he'd just given him. So you just have Stevie kind of looking on, like all the lights are kind of dimmed and everything like that, like the store is closed, and you just hear like the wrench and him like doing everything to build that board for him and like make it his. Yeah. 
I like how this film doesn't have really like a, it has like kind of an unconventional three act structure because there is a three act structure there. It's just very unconventional. Like you, you got the final kind of centerpiece where they're the the boys are at a party with like professional skateboarders. You know, they're kind of like watching people skate and they're kind of hanging out. And you got um you got tension between Ruben and Stevie and uh, you also Ray. have a little bit of yeah between Ray and uh, fuck shit. Yeah, and um, and Ray kind of touches on this beforehand. Like this, this this is what makes Ray a perfect foil to Stevie. You know what I mean? Because both of these both of these guys are leveled, um, and they're they're best friends, or they're they're friends who have kind of brought them into this world, or that they spent the most time with, are kind of like on a downward trajectory. They're on a downward spiral. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Ruben. And um, I think uh, Ray breaks it down, right? Like, which one of them? Fourth grade, the guy with the camera, the 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 up and coming filmmaker. He's the one that comes from a tortured home, right? From yeah, he's home. the one that uh, can't even afford new socks. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, fuck shit is the one that comes from an abusive family, which is why he never wants to go home. Right. Yeah. They used to hang out so much together growing up. They used to like, um, you know, like uh, like do sleepovers and stuff, like. When Ray lost his brother, you know, fuck shit was the one that dragged him back outside, you know, yeah. dragged him out to skate to make him feel better. So you, you got everything coming to an head. You know, um, I was kind of embarrassed. Again, there was another scene where I felt embarrassed for a character where, you know, fuck shit comes over and, you know, uh, Ray is talking with professional skateboarders, like just chilling. You know, and he comes over and like all drunk and I think he kind of like rubs one of the skateboarders hair and. He just kind of embarrasses Ray, and yeah. Ray's like, "Dog, like, just go, go over there, man. Like, go, go, go wild you, you out over there." You need to chill, you know. Go, just yeah. chill for a minute. And I just felt so embarrassed because it was like, you know, um, and Ray knows how to skate, and that was kind of like his chance to talk with some cool skateboarders that liked him. And you know, his friend who was drunk, you know, high on a downward spiral, ruins that chance. And, uh, you know, you couple that with uh, Ruben and um, Stevie and their little, uh, I can't even call that a fist fight. That was really just a shove fight and wrestle. But, you know, they, they get into it, it a It was fight. a shove fight and then Stevie just wailing on Ruben. Stevie railing. Was he railing? I mean, they were wrestling. They were, like, tussling. I don't He well, was just throwing hands. I don't think he was actually making any, like, hits or anything like that. But he was wailing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. So, you know, we, we go from this, and then, you know, fuck shit drives the car, and uh, he's drunk, of course. He shouldn't be driving. Dude, one scene that kind of, like, made me jump a little bit, and um, it was an impressive cut on Jonah Hill's side uh, when they when the, when, the, when the crash first happens, and you kind of, oh, yeah. like, see a flash on fourth grade's face. Like, his uh, his face kind of, like, changes from looking down, like, dude, can you just pull over and then snap? His, his face is up with a huge light in front of it. And then you cut to black. Yeah, and it's the that, sound too because you hear yeah. that whoom, of like the traffic, like a car going past at high speed. You hear that a little bit before, and you're just like, "Oh, this this isn't going to end well." And then they play it again at like twice the volume, and with the shot mixed with the sound, and it, it's it's such a good jump scare. Yeah, it's startling. Oh, one hundred percent. It got me one hundred percent. My heart was racing during that scene the first time I saw it. Yeah, and I uh, I remember like when it when it when it cut to when what happened. Uh, you know, I'm seeing um, I'm seeing Stevie 
I'm seeing Stevie knocked out. I was like, oh no. I hope the film doesn't end like this. Well, like, I hope- you see the car on its side, on the right, side right. that Stevie was on, and then it pans to like an interior shot and like the glass is shattered across the ground. Stevie's on like head is like on the ground. He's not moving everything like that. And that's what it kind of, and it sticks there for a solid, probably 30 seconds Mm. of with the rest of the characters. You can hear them all like saying Steve or sunburn SD or SB. Come on sunburn. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you got that scene of him being, like, uh, in the hospital and, like, they're trying to, like, revive him and stuff like that. Like, this is a this is an independent movie, but it's it's filmed with such gusto that, you know, you you got to give jo- – I gave Jonah Hill his props, like, like halfway through the movie because I was so engaged. I'm like, oh, this, this is a pretty solid debut. But, like, you got to give him his props that he, uh, he kind of came into this with all he got. You oh, know, yeah. with such limited resources and a bare-bones spec script, he really made the most he could out of this story. Um, because it, the way we describe this, it really comes off very loose. Like, it's a loose film. It's, it, it's short, but it's loose. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, um, it's a loose plot. But anyway, um, I love that little tender moment where, uh, you know, my, the mom's comes out in the waiting room and she sees all the skateboarder kids out there to go back what makes this scene powerful is it there's no sound at all after you stop hearing his friends saying like uh sunburn come on get up man uh it goes silent and then Mm -hmm. we see them kind of uh putting a what was it like a breathing mask on stevie in the hospital uh he's like strapped up yeah yeah, yeah, that's what I was talking about when I said Jonah Hill made the mess the best out of this he could. You know, like oh, showing yeah. that one scene of silence of him like trying to be revived with the gas mask. The breathing well, mask. I'm sorry. Yeah, but it's even further than that because the silence spreads to when she is walking into there. It's still completely silent. And then she sees all the boys that she literally said, Don't come near my son ever again, but they're all like in the hospital waiting room, like sleeping on the chairs. Like they waited there the entire night and stuff. Wait, no, I thought before that his brother was there and his brother like gave him some orange juice or something. Like, oh, like, that's uh, right. There still wasn't any sound there aside from like the orange juice container opening. They didn't speak or anything. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's, that's a good catch. I didn't notice that. Yeah, like as soon as he woke up, his brother just kind of handed him the orange juice. And then when he opened it, his brother opened one too and they took a sip at the same time and they kind of just looked at each other and then kind of looked back down at the orange juice that they were holding. Mm-hmm. Like there was no speech in that scene, and it's such a powerful scene with no speech. And then it goes to showing the mom walking uh, after like signing something, walking into the waiting room, and seeing the boys there. And the first spoken word after that is uh, her putting her hand on Ray's shoulder and going, "Do you want to see him?" And, yeah. You know, it's it's so great because tonally it's one of the best kind of scenes in the movie uh, when it comes to like just structured out and just getting that feeling of tension and just without it does perfect of show don't tell throughout this entire thing mm-hmm. for that sequence. And I absolutely love it. Uh, every time that I've seen this movie, this is the third time I've seen it now. Uh, it, that is the scene that just, you know, it, it's so beautifully done. And one of the few times like in film that you can do a show don't tell 
in that kind of way. Yeah, I agree. Um, I really like the end montage, too, where fourth grade finally shows them the film he's been making. And uh, it's really just a it's really just a long montage of them. like Not long, but it's, it's a, a clip of, show, more or less. It's a clip show of them skating them, you know, like just hanging out, having fun, you know, kicking the shit. And uh, he calls it mid 90s in the end. I thought that was a pretty, pretty sweet moment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, if you summarize this movie, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much what happens. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, I say the only the only thing is if you told me, I said, man, from the trailers I've seen, that movie doesn't look that exciting to me. You tell me what makes me want to go see that movie. And if you explain the whole movie to me like that, I still probably wouldn't have been sold. So it's kind of a film you kind of have to watch and experience to really take it in. I can agree with that because it, when I remember seeing this the first time, I was like, I, this is going to be an okay movie. I'm willing to bet that, you know, Jonah Hill has the chops to do something because he put his heart and soul into this. I'm willing to bet that it's going to come out at least okay. It, yeah. I walked out going, I can't believe that was a directorial debut of Jonah Hill. You know, I would have never thought that this would have been the kind of movie he would have put out. I would have expected it to be closer to like super bad because that's the kind of movie that I kind of attribute to him because that's the kind of movie he's always in. You would expect it to be some kind of comedy because right. he had, had he had uh, he had co-wrote 21 Jump Street himself. He had uh, had an animated show on Fox for a minute. I think it was called Alan Gregory or something like that. I don't know if you remember that show. I don't remember that show at all. <laughs> it, it was kind of funny. It was kind of funny. Um, you should look it up. But uh, you you would expect it to be something closer to a comedy. But you know when it came out, something like this, like kind of like an endearing drama. Yeah, mm-hmm. it surprises you. It surprises you almost as much as when Jordan Peele came onto the directorial scene with Get Out. You know what I mean? Yeah. It surprises you. Yeah, because it's completely different than what you know that person for. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, you know, I was thoroughly surprised by this movie. Uh, I, I, I kind of walked away with a smile on my face. Like, you know what? I want to see more from Jonah Hill behind the camera. You know, I, I, I want to see what else he has to bring and, uh, what he can bring to the table. Uh, I give it, I give it a solid four. Uh, this one's a five out of five for me as well. I, I loved this one. Oh, five. This one's a five out of five for me. Cause yeah, it's, I love the characters in it. The dialogue is great. I I love like his coming of age. There's so many awkward little tense moments and everything. Uh, the relationship with him and his brother, the relationship with him and like different characters, because you actually see him have a different relationship with each character. Um, he looks up to Ray. Uh, he kind of listens to Ruben until he learns that Ruben isn't the one that he should be listening to. And then he starts to kind of resent Ruben for kind of teaching him wrong while Ruben resents him for becoming popular. Uh, you see his relationship with, uh, it just, you know, he doesn't really have a relationship with fourth grade. He's the only one that he doesn't have anything going on with. And he starts yeah. falling down the same path as uh, fuck shit because he thinks that he's like the cool kid. Yeah, we got to understand fourth grade was kind of to himself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he he always walks around with the camera, you know, so like that's kind of like who fourth grade is. Um, That's very generous of you, man. I uh, yeah, I can't go five. But, yeah. for, uh, for this I, one, I, it's an easy five to me. 
Okay. Eh, fair enough, fair enough. But I I know what wins out to me. Uh, you putting this over Boyhood? I, boyhood is over mid-90s, but th- that does not mean that mid-90s is, you know, any less of a movie. Uh, mid-90s is still a fantastic movie. Just when put up against Boyhood, it, it loses out by that little bit. So it's a five in its own way. It's a five in its own way. Okay. You know? Like, I'm giving okay. this a five, which is different than, you know, the five that I would give to uh, Kajillionaire. It's a different kind of five. It aimed to do something different. I think it hit every note perfectly, and it managed to surprise me in ways that I would have never expected. Man, that was such a good movie, man. Kajillionaire was a good movie, dude. That, I didn't. I, I didn't expect that movie to be as good as it was when we chose it. Oh yeah, I remember. I hadn't even heard of it when you mentioned it to me. You were like, "We got to check out this new movie, Kajillionaire," and I was like, "Yeah, okay." And then came out going, "This is probably the best movie I've seen all year." <laughs> We should do at the end of the year because I don't because we watched that in 2020, right? Or was it 20 or was it this year? Um, that was last year. I want to say that we watched that one. Okay, I feel like towards the end of the year we should do like a double features best of the year, um, that we've seen like in theaters or on streaming, because uh, uh, I got I got a couple ones that I got up in that in that top five spot or was it enough for top ten? Maybe. There might be um, enough for top. This year, there might be enough for top ten. I don't think there was enough last year because we barely got any new movies in 2020. Yeah, yeah. But this year, we I think we have enough of a lineup, and definitely 2022 because a lot of stuff got pushed to 2022. Okay, yeah, I uh, yeah I, I definitely say with this movie, man, um, it, it it was it was a very it was a very good debut. And um, the Nine Inch Nails score was pretty light too, and surprising. Yeah, yeah. I uh, this film this film had a lot of surprises behind it, and I uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, okay, man. Before we get out of here, you seen any? Have you seen Soho yet? Uh, I have seen Soho, and I have seen Eternals. Okay, let let's let's get the important stuff out the way. So Soho. Everything you wished and more? Uh, everything I expected and more. There were a couple like jump scare moments that did get me, but it was very light on the jump scares. A lot more of like the tension and like psychological, uh, you know, it, look at what these people are going through kind of horror. Mm-hmm. Um, more akin to, what was the movie? Um, with the girl that was pretending to be drunk at bars to... Promising young woman. Promising young, yeah, more akin to that kind of like horror in this one. Okay, okay, that um, doesn't really that doesn't really sell me, but I, I'll, I'll still go see it. Oh yeah, uh, because it wasn't so much on like an actual like slasher kind of film, which I was expecting it to be a little bit more slasher based on the previews, but it wasn't really that. Uh, there's a couple scenes, but yeah, it's really good i i it i don't think it's edgar wright's best but it's a movie that i can't wait for it to come out on like blu-ray to watch it again okay now let me talk to the non-edgar wright fan is this movie good uh as the non-edgar wright fan uh this movie was very enjoyable uh i was captured the entire time okay all right all right that's fair yeah, I'm probably gonna go see that in like French uh Wes Anderson's French Dispatch this weekend. Okay. Um 
Okay, so Eternals, you agree with me? Do you feel like this is like the most existential Marvel movie ever? It is very existential. Um, this is a very drawn out movie too. I will say that. I think that's like the one point that it it does well, but comes off a little annoying at the same time. Is there's just so much in this movie because they're building up each of these characters that they're being freshly introduced to. They are, and, and it's a lot of back and forth between like you know past and present. Yeah. Um, it, I feel like if you're engaged with the characters in the story, that's no problem. But if you're waiting for some action. It's a very slow Marvel movie. It is a like, very slow Marvel movie, but it builds up to some great moments. It does. And um, this movie took a lot of balls. And I, I like the I like the risk that Marvel took taking on Chloe Zhao and giving her creative freedom that they gave her. Because mm-hmm. it's kind of it's a main it's a big budget movie made through independent um, uh, means, like as far as the themes go and, you know, the way it's executed it's 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 probably the most um i say it's the most daring marvel movie for how it just says you know what let's go for let's go for like a deep existential marvel story and see where that goes and i think the film succeeds more than it fails yeah uh i i agree it it definitely pulls a lot of things like each of the characters has their own emotional moment too because you have druig hating to see people fight when he can actually control and stop it Right. Uh, then you have I can't remember who, what his name was, but uh, the paper boy from uh, Atlanta. That's what everybody, dude. When no one, under, when no one remembers his actor name, I know. Or character I, he I plays, feel so bad say, because he's a great actor say, you know, too. He is a great actor, Brian Tyree Henry. They always say like, uh, you know, paper boy. Yeah, paper <laughs> boy. Paper boy for life, dog. People remember Lakeith. They yeah. don't remember his name. Right. That's, that's crazy. But, yeah, with his character and being, like, very technology-oriented and trying to, like, push technology to yeah. humanity and everything. And when uh, it's the Hiroshima scene and he's, like, going, I, I did this. You know, I was the one pushing for them to become technologically independent. I'm the one that, right. you know, gave them the start. And this is the end. Scene. Oh yeah, it's 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 a heartbreaking scene. Like you tear up a little bit during that one. You do, and um, you um, you you see these people. They really want to. They want to help these this this human race. They want to help the human race, but they can't interfere with human con with human conflict. Right. You know yeah. what I'm saying they they want to help, but they can't. One of the best jokes on the internet, uh, for like Brian Tyree Henry's character. They uh somebody on somebody online said, dude, where were you during slavery? Like, like where were you? Yeah. Paper Paperboy's character. Like, where right, were you yeah. during slavery? Where 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 were you? Yeah, I, I saw the same memes on that. It's like it literally they explain it. You can't interfere with anything. But he tried to interfere with Pearl Harbor or Hiroshima, whatever happened. Was that World War Two? That was World War Two. Yeah, yeah, World War Two. Um, no, he couldn't interfere. He he was angry that like his gift of like technology toward them, like in the Roman Empire days, uh, led them on the path of technology where they could end up to this point. See, I misread that scene. I thought he was on. I thought he was on the winning side, or I thought he was on one of the uh, 
one one of the sides that was fighting. Oh, he just came after the fact and started crying. Yeah, he like saw where technology led to because he was always like, we gotta like push technology, and he was being told by uh, Ajax to stop, and. Yeah. That was during like the Roman Empire kind of days and everything like that. And he was like, "Fine, I'm gonna leave." And he he stopped like trying to push advancements in technology, but he saw like eventually his advancements in technology caught up to that point, and that's what it led to. Hey, I, I just want to say this before we talk any further. Um, even though this isn't like, even though this episode isn't like an official review, even though. Even though we're not officially talking about Eternals comparing it to another movie, I just want to say spoiler alert in case someone's listening to this and hasn't seen it yet, because you might not be expecting us to talk about this here. But uh, that Ajax scene, uh, her death scene really got me, man, especially oh, when I yeah. found out how it happened. I was like, oh, you bastard. Oh, yeah. Why? It makes you really hate his character. It does, man. And I like it was it was so effective storytelling wise because I was like, you don't expect him to do that. You, you expect him to be kind of like the do gooder. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he seems a little distant, but you expect him to be the do gooder. And I was like, dang, dog, really? Yeah. Uh, uh, how did you feel about uh, those two end credit scenes? Um, What with I, I forgot all about the first. Oh, yeah. The first one, dude, tell me why I was sitting in the theater with my wife and, you know, that that guy pops up, um, you know, and uh, with the little uh, was was that an elf? Oh, or, Pip, the it, uh, it, he's like a troll, the troll. And uh, I remember I didn't I didn't know who he was, really, like the character until like he said his name. And uh, my wife was like, you know who that is, right? I was like, you you know who that is? Yeah. Harry Styles. I'm like. I know that's Harry Styles. Who's the character? Oh, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> you know, and she's like, oh, I don't know. You know, like, you know, he announces himself as Thanos' brother and everything, but I didn't know who he was in the comics. So I got hyped when he appeared on screen because I didn't know that he was actually even in this at all and playing Thanos' brother because that is the one Eternal I actually know because that's the one Eternal that has been a part of the Avengers at one point. So, out of all the Eternals in this movie, I didn't know any of them from the comics at all. I don't know if they were taken from the comics or if they were kind of created for the new universe. But his character I knew. So, as soon as he said, you know, I'm Thanos' brother, I was like, oh my god, they're bringing him in. This is going to be great because he's basically the – his entire thing is he can control people's emotions and he uses that to, like, make people lust after him and become, like, a heartthrob. So having Harry Styles in that role... That's <laughs> funny. ...is so meta. I love it. And it's going to be fantastic when they actually use him in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of funny. Um, I wasn't really that hype, man. I was like, okay, what can he do? I mean, you just told me. I, that, that seems kind of like a whack power. It, it well, he also has like super. He basically has the same like power as Thanos. Like he's super strong and everything like that. Uh, but when it comes to like an eternal ability, it's basically being able to control people's emotions. Like how Druid can control people, or you know how uh, Ajax kind of had the power to heal and stuff like that. His power is controlling people's emotion. Hey man. Um... Why isn't he as purple as Thanos and as, you know, kind of ugly looking? Uh, Thanos was a 
deformed. He didn't look like anybody else on his planet. So Thanos, actually, uh, part of his backstory is he never fit in with the people of his planet because he was, like, a mutate on his planet. So he looked different than okay. everybody else. So he kind of stood out, and people picked on him and bullied him and stuff like that. Okay, all right. Makes sense. So, yeah, uh, Thanos' planet is basically all very humanoid people, and then him. Okay, yeah, that one that one scene I was kind of like, eh, all right. I don't know who this is, but I guess that's uh I guess he's going to be a factor. But dude, that second end credit scene with um John Stark mm-hmm. and uh that sword, you know whose voice that was, right? Oh, I I recognized it right away and I was like, "Hold on. That wasn't and I had to look up, you know, cuz I was waiting for the extra credit at the end for it and they didn't do it. And I was like, "Damn it, I'm going to have to look this up online." And yeah, uh, Mashala Ali. See, I didn't think I didn't think Mahershala. Mahershala Ali. Of, yeah, I, I didn't think of, I didn't think of Mahershala Ali because at first, me and my wife were going back and forth, like, "Yo, it's got to be somebody black." That sounded black, and she said, "Who was my man from Endgame?" I was like, "Well, the only black dude from Endgame was Captain America." No, not him. <laughs> the guy with the eye patch, Nick Fury. That wasn't. That did not sound like Sam Jackson. Yeah. And and um finally I looked it up. I said, "Damn it, they're bringing Blade in." Yeah, they're bringing in Blade. Well, it, as soon as I heard his voice, because he's attributed to the Dark Knight, who uh, Kit Harrington uh, is going to be playing. Wait, wait, what do you mean, the Dark Knight? Like, um, well, that's what the sword is and everything. Like he's the villain, so the sword gives him powers and turns him into. Uh, or is it Black Knight or Dark Knight? I can't remember what his Dark name is. Dark Knight is Batman. Yeah, but it's still, like, that's the name for this character. Oh, okay, okay. So is, does he become vampire-like? Because, you know, Blade hunts vampires. No, he just kind of becomes, like, very mystical, kind of powered. So uh, there's okay. also rumor that Blade is supposed to have some kind of... Uh, presence in the moon knight series that's coming up which again is just somebody that has very mystical kind of powers okay i'm with it man look i've been waiting for them to uh rejuvenate blade uh i didn't know that was him at first like i didn't i didn't recognize mahershala ali's voice at first just because i haven't seen any films with him in a minute like on my part just because mm-hmm. i have a little i've been a little tapped out a little bit but uh when i looked it up and they said uh it could they, they, they said everything but say it was him. Like, oh, uh, Chloe Zhao has hinted that it could be Blade. I was like, damn it, they're bringing Blade in. Yeah. I got excited. Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't think it was him right away. I just, as soon as he talked, I was like, oh, my God, is that Blade? You know, just Dude, because I'm, of the connection there between the two. I remember there were people in the audience because, um, like, it was, I was surprised. Only a few stayed for that second post credit scene. It was only, like, a few of us in the theater. One guy was like, who the hell is that? <laughs> Like, like, who the hell is who the hell was that? You know. In their defense, it is a brand new character to the MCU and everything. And if you're not paying attention to comics or anything like that, you wouldn't be able to think. You know. I I said the same thing to myself. I said, "Man, who was that?" You know, one guy was sitting there actually trying to figure it out with his friends, and they were like, "Dude, let's go! Like, come on! <laughs> like, we're not gonna sit here and figure it out. We just there's such a thing as the internet. Yeah, we can Google it later." Right. The answer's already up there, you know. But, uh, 
yeah, man, I was real geeked for the second post credit scene. I didn't really feel, wasn't really too, too geeked about the first one. Uh, what would you give it, man? Uh, Eternals. Yeah. Um, I, I would probably give that one a solid like three point five. Four. Oh, I go higher. I give it four and a half. Mm, I give I it a it was- very light four, but a very strong three point five. I give it four and a half for the balls it had. It did have a lot of guts to do what it did. Yeah. Because it went dark. It went it went dark without going DC dark. Right. It, it was existential crisis kind of dark. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, man, and I don't, I don't mean to run us over too much, but this new Batman trailer... What do you think, man? I think they're I think they're trying to make Gotham as dark as they can. It's kind of becoming a little annoying. It's starting to remind me of the Titans trailer that, you know, the one where it started off with Robin going, fuck Batman, you know, where it's, it's <laughs> trying to be edgy dark. I have faith in it because I have faith in Matt Reeves as a director and Robert Patterson is a he's a pretty great actor. But it's like, dude, it's like. Is there no light in Gotham? There has to be people in Gotham smiling at some point in the day. Everything can't be this dark all day. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I've always kind of been a little bit more on the hesitant side of this one just because it's a Batman reboot kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it, there's only it's the same way that I was like hesitant toward uh Tom Holland coming in as Spider-Man. It's like I believe that he could be good but I'm so hesitant because it's just another reboot of a character that I've already grown attached to in other iterations. I didn't know much about Tom Holland at that point. Um, so when he came on the spot you know, I looked at him, I said, okay, he looks like a, he looks like a Peter Parker. And, uh, you know, he kind of, he pleasantly surprised me and, uh, was pretty good at it. Oh yeah. For me, it wasn't like I went, oh yeah, I'm rooting for Tom Holland. I was more just hesitant because I was like, is somebody else like in the role of Spider-Man? Like it's, you know, I, I I gotta believe that Marvel's doing knows what they're doing with it, but at the same time, I gotta be hesitant because it's here's another reboot of somebody, you know, very recently, and Batman's another one of those cases because we did uh, have like the Christopher Nolan Batman, and then we had the Ben Affleck Batman, you know. You mean the Zack Snyder Batman? The Zack Snyder Batman, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, going to be the Ben Affleck Batman, but he dropped out as the script writer. Yeah, I think he said he didn't have enough faith in his own story or something. Uh, it was when he was going through, um, what was it? it? Some kind of relapse. Oh, okay. So okay. he dropped out of the project. It'd be interesting to see a Ben Affleck directed Batman. It'd be interesting. Uh, a Maybe lot of people that saw the scripts that it was like one of the best Batman scripts they had seen, and they were going basically. There's no way that they'd be able to do this in a movie. There's going to have to be cuts to the script and reworkings for it to be a movie. But as it's written here, it's a perfect story. Hmm. So I'm curious what things that they were talking about where it's like it's perfect, but it does have to be reworked in order to work as a movie. I wonder if it's leaked. I might read it one day. Um, all right, y'all. We kind of ran overboard there. So you got a you got an extra review from us. You got an Eternals review too. Yeah. I guess we, I, I guess we just slipped it in there some way. <laughs> I uh, we we were gonna wait for another film, but I guess we just gave it right there. Um, but all right, y'all. Y'all stay safe. Uh, like, share, and subscribe. Uh, have a great one.